On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, it's the end of the year, and we're talking with nano brewers around the country about 2021, lessons learned, plans for growth or sustainability, and jumping business hurdles. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 24. Hope you had a chance to watch, listen, or participate in BYO's NanoCon held earlier this month. It was great fun to moderate two panels with industry experts, thought leaders, and brewers. In addition to their own thoughts and insights, we also had a lot of great questions and feedback from conference participants, especially during our small brewer panel. So for this episode, our last of 2021, I wanted to bring together three brewers to talk about shared experiences, how they faced adversity and got through it, and to see what their outlook for 2022 might hold. We cover everything from social media plans to yeast and hops, customer service, retail, packaging, and more. I'm going to introduce you to them in just a moment, but first, support for the show comes from Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. These systems are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow with a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1 to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. Also, join BYO online for a series of four hour long workshops with deep dives into topics of interest to small scale pro brewers, including sour beer techniques on January 28th, distilling on February 4th, and brewery taproom draft systems on April 8th. Details can be found at BYO.com slash bootcamps. For you small brewers putting in the hard work day in and day out, it can be hard to get outside of your four walls. So hearing from other brewers or owners in podcast form might help a bit to show that there are other people in similar situations and their perspective might help you with insight into your own nano brewery. So for our end of the year panel, my guests include Sarah Rigel of Policy Kings Brewery in Utah. She and her husband, Dre, are working towards waking up the palates of their community through creative and innovative sessionable style beers. They opened up in 2018, and she says the brewery's main goal is to always deliver a crushable beer. Eric Christensen is a 26-year veteran of the Coast Guard and started Gypsy Brewing Company with his wife, Heather, in May of 2017. The two-barrel production-only brewery serves local clientele in Southern Maryland through draft accounts, markets, and liquor stores. And Riker Wickoff is co-founder of Red Clover Ale Company in Vermont. It's a small brewery he started with two brothers-in-law, serving up IPAs and more from their taproom. Each of them spoke to me from their respective home states. All of you in introducing yourselves are talking about multiple positions. And I think the smaller you are, the, the more jobs you're going to have. Is there anything that you find yourself doing at your respective breweries these days that you never really imagined you would be doing? For sure. I mean, yeah. I, I would say... I fully anticipated doing uh, everything, and the only saving grace is is that my wife does social media and uh, the label art. Because if I had to do that as well, I would never sleep. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? Um, so, <clears throat> mine's a little different. This whole this whole thing is my husband's dream. So I'm kind of like the wife that's doing. The social media, the event planning. Um, I do. Yeah, this is all new. We never were even in the brewing industry or beer industry before this. So we collaborate and do everything, every job, tap room, um, brewing, canning. I mean, anything you can think of. Yeah. It's just on the both of us. But I don't know. I think it's awesome and rewarding, but it is hard ass work. So, yeah. Riker, is there anything that sort of jumps out at you that you find yourself doing around the brewery on any given day? And you're like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> um, I was expecting to have to do like a lot of good amount of paperwork and cleaning. 
Um, but the volume of paperwork and the volume of cleaning <laughs> is probably <laughs> is probably a bit higher than, than what I was actually expecting. Um, Amen. But, yeah. <laughs> kind of like and kind of like Sarah and Eric, you know, they're um, we we try to like split up our tasks a little bit. Um, there are three of us, but yeah, so it's kind of like each of us kind of has our own little area and then we assist each other in um, whatever we're not main focused on. So. There's but. been a lot of, there's been a lot of conversations around social media and how it can offer a window into a brewery or into a small business. And uh, folks have done different things with it in, 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 in different ways. Um, but Sarah, as you've been, trying to tell the story of policy kings to a virtual audience what have you found that's connected with them the most and helped forge a, a better relationship between your your virtual fans and the actual physical brewery um i would probably say you know we are um a black owned brewery so the only one in Utah and the state surrounding. So using social media as our platform to kind of push the, I guess, narrative of diversity in craft beer has been really essential, especially this last year and a half, um, because we do live in a very rural area, very conservative. Um, we're only one of two Black-owned businesses in the entire area, uh, Southern Utah area we live in. So social media has been great, but it is also a blessing and a curse. You know, um, we don't give a lot of, we don't do the videos everybody does and show everybody kind of what we're doing in here. And um, especially in our brew house, we kind of just work so much that that kind of gets lost sometimes and posting daily and getting that message out. Um, you know, it's a full-time job doing social media just in itself. And I've got to be honest, sometimes um, we don't get the nicest of comments from people and we just brush that off, you know, with what we're trying to push. And so I think that's just what makes us a little bit different in the nanobrewery world. There are a few nanobreweries that are Black-owned in the country, but, you know, we are, we are definitely the smallest brewery in the state of Utah. So just constantly trying to keep up and be noticed is social media is kind of the, the only way we can do it in our, in our state. So. Yeah. Eric, I know you're not doing social media for you, for the brewery, but I imagine there's conversations around what you want the, the, the narrative to be, or, you know, what you want to be putting out to, to, to your audience. What, what have you found that works? Well, absolutely. And what we have been doing is we will routinely, and I use the royal we here uh, because <laughs> we're using Instagram and we're using Facebook. And so with those two platforms, we, we go out at least once a week to let folks know where to find our beer and then what events are, are, are coming up. And beyond that, I will sometimes take pictures while brewing or while we're at an event or something like that to just basically promote we're here, we're serving, we're looking forward to seeing you all because we don't have a tasting room. We are a two barrel production only brewery. And so we are gypsies. We live in the tent that we bought four and a half years ago to go to festivals. And so, you know, 2020 uh, was that pivot point where you start doing social media to say, we still exist and you can find us at, at, at these locations. Have, have you found that that's been, that you've been able to connect with folks that way? I, I would say to a certain extent we have, but four and a half years in, I still have people local to the county where we are distributing and we are doing self-distribution uh, who still say, I didn't know you guys existed. Where are you at? Where are you? And, and so we still have to deal with that. Who are you? Well, right. we're your local brewery. And if you, you know, if you don't know who, who we are, then I, I don't know what more 
you know, we can do except for putting billboards on the side of the highway. I just, can I cut in real quick? I just yeah. wanted to, I just wanted to completely agree with you on that. Um, although we do have a tap room here as well, and we're in a community of about 31,000 people, um, we still run into locals. I run into them every day and they still, I still get the same thing. You know, oh, I didn't even know this place was here. I didn't even know it existed. I, and we don't distribute yet, right? So we're only everything in house. And so it's the same thing with the social media. I post two times a day on Instagram, Facebook, and you have to look at the trends of if they, if you get more people coming in or if you don't. But I, I feel like that's, that's kind of something that smaller, smaller breweries, nano breweries struggle with is being seen and being noticed and being recognized without blowing our marketing advertising budget on putting on a giant billboard that no one wants to pay for it. So I just wanted to cut in and say, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Riker in a, in a state like Vermont though, where beer tourism is a, is a thing and there are you know a lot of, I think there, there, there's a lot of one local knowledge, but to a lot of tourism that comes through um, as a small brewery, what have you all been doing, you know, to try to capture some of those eyeballs, capture, you know, the attention of folks and getting them to come into, to your tap room um, when there's you know, larger places um, and maybe some, some more well-known places. Yeah. Um, I'd say first off um, the location that we chose that we're renting is right on. I mean, there's, there are not many uh, what you'd call like highways in Vermont, but it's on Route 7, which is kind of for the west side of the state, the largest road going north and south. Um, so location there. And then also the um, Vermont Brewers Association does a great job with marketing and capturing kind of like the tourist crowd and spreading that information that way. So signed on with them early, got on some maps, um and then yeah try to try to stay active on instagram and share it to facebook um but uh, and, yeah. and having those the, the, those associations those guilds um th that's one of those things that's sort of come up now and again of with all of the growth with all of the um the, the new breweries coming online of being as involved not just with brewers associations but also you know local groups as well or trying to find ways of um, reaching out to other parts of the community not just in the beer space to try to to try to forge those those you know connections and get new people coming through um i mean sarah i imagine that once you you tell folks that there's a um a brewery where you're located folks will come in right and they're not necessarily beer people so i mean that's the thing in our community is, um, and in Utah as a whole, but especially in the area we live in, they're about 15 years behind in the craft brew industry. So our main job is encouraging people to come in and try the beer and enticing them and convincing them that what we're making is better than the macro brews that they've been drinking. And so I think that's where it's a little different than, you know, and the Brewers Association, there is not one locally to Utah, and we are not a part of the one, the na uh, the national one. Um, and then the Brewers Guild in Utah, uh, it's having a lot of growing pains. And so our goal is to kind of open one. We kind of have to be the trendsetters and starters of anything that has to do with craft beer in our area. So that takes on a whole nother life form of a job that I did not think I was going to be doing. So when growing pains would sort of spark something in me where I was thinking about how for a lot of, for, 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 for a long time in the brewing industry, it was how big can you get how quickly or how quickly can you get really big? And the nano segment I think has taught us that it's, it's, really great to be uh, small, to be self-contained, to be um, doing, you know, ma maintaining and, and, and running a successful small business. Um, I'll, I'll throw this sort of out as a, as a jump ball. As, as you think about 
not even necessarily growth, but stability over the next couple of years. Um, what do you see as some of the larger hurdles? And have you thought about how you can start to jump those? I'll throw now, it to this you, is Eric. Eric. I yeah. Think, I, I think, well, again, we've been around for coming up on five years in May of 2022, and we have consistently done 50, and that's five zero barrels every year. Okay. And we're not looking for world beer domination here. And uh, frankly, with a two barrel system, you're not going to be able to do that. So it took the pandemic actually for me to come to grips with some of that. Because again, as you're struggling to try and get product onto shelves, because all of your draft accounts and festivals are gone, um, you realize that there is not a lot of space and sometimes being local um, isn't enough. And so if you keep thinking, well, I have to keep brewing, I have to keep putting beer on the, on the shelves and, and things like that, um, you know, at some point you just have to relax and say, you know what? moderate growth, or at least just sustaining yourself. Because most small businesses fail after the first year. We didn't. Victory, as far as I'm concerned. And we will, we will continue down this path um, of small, because the other thing is, this isn't, this isn't my only job. And so I have to strike that balance. And so in our case, uh, growth is merely maintaining, maybe starting to play around a little bit more with some barrels. But but really, I don't see getting into the several hundred barrels a year production. Riker, what about you guys? What's, what's yeah. the plan at this? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, obviously a major hurdle for us, we opened up um with the primary intent of being a taproom focused brewery we're at three barrels um and you know we considered to try to do almost everything by draft and then we have like a tabletop seamer and just do a small amount of cans just as promotion and things like that um the space we rent has no outdoor seating um so it's been a you know especially a year ago or so right like it was a much harder time to figure out like um what that pivot was going to be and it turned out to just be putting a lot more in cans um ourselves and just selling them out the door um and i think kind of like where where our hurdle coming up is is what is the balance between what we put in cans and what we sell in the tap room going forward um, and kind of how we strike those lines where we want our profit margins to be with those two different strategies. Um, and with the limitation of our space and the limitation amount we can brew on our system, um, kind of how we navigate that. Sir, what have you all been thinking about as challenges going forward? Um, the biggest thing that we learned when COVID hit was we were not prepared for beer to go. Um, we didn't even have a can seamer. We didn't have, we didn't have any of those, those options. We had just finally hit in our tap room, eight beers on tap. That was a huge milestone for us. A week yeah. later, we, we got shut down. So it was a huge, huge pivot for us. Um, and for the community. Um, <clears throat> but the thing that it made us do is we already had plans to get a bigger system. We're on a two barrel system. Also, we do about a hundred, hundred, maybe a hundred barrels a year. I can't remember, but um, we do something close to that. And right now we're only to, able to sustain in our tap room. We can't provide for restaurants and bars and, and, you know, people that want to have our beer in cans. So we just, barely barely ordered a new system uh last week so we are expanding um and tr to a five barrel system 
um, and a, can, a small, super small canning line. Uh, so we can distribute across the state of Utah. And because our, our goal is to be one of the big, one of the most popular breweries in Utah, um, this is our only income. So we have had to do a lot of pivoting and a lot of moving and a lot of adjusting and changing things that we may not have wanted to do at the beginning. Um, lucky for us, we did have outside seating. So that did really benefit us when um, during COVID, but it just pushed us to expand or we were not going to be able to grow. We would just kind of be stuck. Um, so that's exciting for us because people that have been begging us for our beer in our area and in the state are finally going to be able to get their hands on it. So it's scary, but we're kind of going to a new expansion of different employees and um, different parts of our business plan that we are excited to, but also a little nervous to. We'll still be the smallest brewery in Utah, but. <laughs> um, Eric, there's been a lot of talk about uh, packaging and I've heard can seamers and cans come up. Um, there's a lot of worry in that in that space right now of uh, having access to brights and being able to um, uh, hopefully fulfill orders. You don't have to worry about that too much, do you? No, we bottle and we've been bottling. And when and when the pandemic hit, we went from just bottling our our barrel aged offerings to bottling everything, and so that required. Uh, the label designs that required getting with the, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting with the, the the company and sort of ramping up, ramping up label production and and things like that. Um, no, we didn't have to worry about that. However, I will say that once there was a can shortage, there soon became a bottle shortage because I had to go to Canada to get my bottles from Germany. And that's a that's a pretty sucky carbon footprint. Yeah. Um, I would much rather get my bottles, you know, from US manufacturers, which again, we've now been able to do. But, uh, you know, I think canning, bottling, all of these, uh, all, all of these manufacturers, whether it's aluminum or glass, were caught flat footed, but like the rest of us. What's the customer reaction to, I understand for, for a lot of barrel age stuff, but for, for other beers as well, has it been, uh, maybe difficult is not the right word, but no, what, it is what, the right word, John difficult is, it? Okay. is the right word because we're I'm not doing six packs. We're doing 500 milliliter, much like main beer company. And as far as I'm concerned, if main beer company can do it, so can we. And, um, so it comes at a, it, it comes at a premium price point, and uh, most of our uh, customers are, are are willing to pay because, again, you know, we only order bottles by, you know, the pallet. And when you start throwing in shipping and, and everything else like that, I mean, our margins start to disappear. So, uh, but, you know, we get product out to the market, out to uh, markets, out to liquor stores through self-distribution, really to just kind of get, get the, get the word out, get our, get our name out there, get, get the labels out on the shelves. And, and we've got some great retailers who will stock everything that we make. And we have others that pick two to three just because of, of shelf space. And we're happy to get it at, at, at this point, but, you know, from a, it, it sometimes is a hard sell when you're, when you're talking, uh, but at the same time, it's a hard sell right up until you see what's, you know, what main beer can get for their pale ale versus what the price point for, um, for our, you know, pale ale, our route beer, our, you know, uh, whatever the, the lower end 5% you know, 5% ABV type of, uh, type of beer. So yeah. I, I feel comfortable where we're at right now. It's just bottling takes an incredible amount of time. More in a moment, but first thanks to this episode sponsor. 
With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. These systems are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow with a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their one to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. And join BYO online for a series of four hour long workshops with deep dives into topics of interest to small scale pro brewers, including sour beer techniques on January 28th, distilling on February 4th, and brewery taproom draft systems on April 8th. Details can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. And now back to the conversation with Sarah Rigel of Policy Kings Brewery, Eric Christensen of Gypsy Brewing, and Riker Wickoff of Red Clover Ale Company. Riker, you've been, your brewery's been packaging a lot of IPAs. Um, you're doing bright cans with labels. Um, yep. As you were thinking about being a taproom, you know, I, when the pandemic changed from being just taproom um, only, were there conversations or how were the conversations um, structured around deciding what to can? Was it just your normal flagships or your normal, your normal offerings, or did you have to you know, pivot to create something that could get a buzz on the, in the marketplace? Yeah. Um, or buzz, you know, for people to go, you know, to entice them to go. Cause yeah, I think no. there's a difference between what might, what people might drink in a tap room versus what they might actually buy in cans to, to. No, you know, you yeah, you're absolutely right that, um, so we kind of, we do a variety of beers, but especially, um, we do tend to package more for the IPAs because that is, you know, when you're looking at sales for the tap room versus to go, um, generally, uh, IPAs just, yeah, are in much higher demand. Um, I wouldn't say that we've so much changed what we brew um maybe like a little more frequency like um maybe some pilsners or stouts are less in a rotation but kind of our model is always changing anyway um i'd say an area that maybe we found more value in than we were expecting is brewing the same beers a little more consistently um we used to have a lot of like a lot of more fun of or a lot yeah a lot more fun having a new beer every week um and just like constantly rotating and not much um not many repeat beers um but then definitely like focusing more on cans um it's been nice to have like what you said like not so much flagships but the uh, like a core of 13 or so beers that we have coming out um with much more regularity than we did before yeah Sarah, have there been shifts in the beers that you all have been making? You know, I, I know every brewery starts with, you know, boy, we make a really good fill in the blank here and we can't wait for people to try it. And then all of a sudden there's a sleeper hit or customers start flocking to something else. And, um, you, you, you know, you wonder, you know, well, what about this? And I, we wanted you all to drink this. And now you're all drinking that instead. Um, was, was that the case? with you all um i'd say when we first opened we only had two beers on tap in our tap room so a saison and a and a citrusy pale ale right um we have evolved to where we have one beer of each style on our uh tap list so our con our consistency is that we will have one beer of each style that doesn't mean that it's going to be the same beer that we brewed the time before, right? We, um, our customers are very spoiled. We're in the fact that we are constantly changing. Um, my husband, Dre, he, um, he's the main mastermind behind all the brewing. He's never satisfied with what he brews. Um, he has not, he still has not yet to make the perfect beer besides um, one canned beer that we make, which is our black IPA. Um, in Utah, anything that has to go over 5% has to be canned. So, um, anything on tap, we have a dark, we have a pale, we have a lager, we have, uh, 
an IPA. We'll have a, some style of a wheat beer. We'll always have those. And then we just started making seltzers um, during COVID. And so we'll have something for everybody because we know um, the community of beer drinkers that we have. And then we do have a high rate of tourism in the summer. We bring about what a million, about a million tourists in each summer. And so we have to also kind of change a little bit towards who we're making the beer for. So we're not very consistent. You know, the one beer we always have on tap is our Kolsch because we live in a community that is a blue collar, Bud Light drinking, Miller Light. That's, that's what they want. And they want to come in and they want to drink that. That's the one beer that we, we will always have on tap and everything else we will just like tomorrow we're brewing a, a dark Mexican lager that's going to be in a can that we're going to release for New Year's. So it's really what we feel like brewing. <laughs> I guess I guess I was long winded, but it's really what my husband wakes up and he says, I want to brew this this week. And we say, uh, OK. All right. Um, so. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm slightly concerned about the lagering time for New Year's, but that's that's a conversation <laughs> we're using, for we're using a new uh, the Lucha lager. Uh, yeast from Omega. Okay. So it ferments hot and then you rack it and it uh, lagers cold in the kegs for the next two weeks. So huh. that's All kind right. of how we have. And again, being a nano brewery, we kind of and the speed that we make beers, we've had to really adjust the different yeast strains that we use. Um, we use dry yeast right now only. Um, and so we're always, my husband's always constantly researching different yeasts that we can use that can ferment fast that will still give a great product but are also great yeast and so the uh, the lucha lager yeast just barely um omega came out with it dry and so they had and so we just barely got that and we are using that um it's a really great versatile yeast we really enjoy it um we've used it a couple times just because in the in the production that we are in it is very hard for us to make a long i guess a a lager that can sit for six months to a year with our new I, system that's our our goal is to have that but i I, goal, I wasn't aware of that yeast so now i have to go now yeah. i have to go look yeah, it up look at, yeah, my snark my snarky response led oh, to no, actual knowledge I, I dig it yeah research it it's a it's a good yeast it ferments it up to 90 degrees so um it'll ferment out in probably two days and then we will just cold crash it and lager it and until um, we're ready to serve it. So we'll see, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, hopefully it works out. <laughs> I mean, speaking, speaking of fast ferments, um, Eric, I mean, you're using Kreik yeast um, yeah. in, 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 in your beers um, and not just for making beers. Well, no, I mean, we're using, in fact, I've got a, um, I've got a, uh, a, Kvike yeast. We use a Mitbust uh, Kvike, which at higher temperatures throws a nice little citrus note, and that's going. That went into our Viking Gold, which has been one of our more popular beers over the last year, uh, which is just a standard gold nail uh, with a, a nice noble hop uh, character, and then we we ferment it with the uh, Mitbust Kvike, and it has been wonderful. In fact, in the winter, I can actually heat the brewery. With the fermenting kvike because it, it's fermenting at 95. I, I think the last time I checked this morning, it was it, it had already pegged out my 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 thermometer. So I'm assuming it's somewhere around 100, uh, maybe a little bit above that. And um, so we use that in 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 Viking Gold. Um, we use it in Asgard Funeral, which is one of our more I, I would call it more of a traditional Norwegian farmhouse beer because it uses rye malts, it uses uh, smoked malt, and uh, in fact, we just got some smoked malt from uh, Sugar Creek in Indiana oh, great. that is there, and I know you had them on the show, and yeah. uh, uh, we, I am so looking forward to, uh, to, to using that malt and, in our Asgard funeral, and that, that's going to clock in at like 9.5%, so that'll be just in time for winter, but those will ferment, you know, they take a week. I give them a little bit longer time. I mean, not that they can't be done quicker, but I give it a longer time to get the, the yeast to drop out. 
and uh, and and we go from there. Um, we've been talking a lot of uh, uh, yeast, but Riker, I your brewery, uh, I've I've come to know, uh, really loves experimenting with different hop combinations. And as you're putting a recipe together, as you guys are all uh, all talking about what what comes next, um, where do those conversations start? How do you guys build out the next IPA that you're going to release? Yeah. Um, so, well, first, uh, just back to the yeast, too. Oh, sure. Because um, we that's like, I'd say, experimentation with yeast, too. Like, a lot of times we'll have three different strains going, things like that, for our tap list. Um, so there are a couple that we've settled on more regularly. But just like how we, you know, like to mix up the hop combinations, it's always fun to see how different hop combinations inter interacts with different yeasts and things like that too. Um, but yeah, I'd say a lot of the times, um, just kind of keeping an eye on what's available on the market. Um, and for hops, um, and when something catches our eyes, trying to order it in. And then typically we'll do like a single hop batch, with a single hop either ipa or pale ale like right in the six percent range um you know mid fives to mid sixes to try to see what that hop character really brings out and um with our with how we like to ferment things and then use that kind of i'll taste it all together then use that as a launch pad to kind of brainstorm what combinations um, what different hops would go well with which yeast it might be better suited for and things like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's typically starts with a single hop beer and then goes from there. Um, I wanted to go back to something that, uh, that, that Sarah said, and then um, Eric, it sort of got me, me, me curious um, without having a tap room, without having a place that people can come to. Um, how are you best relying on feedback on the beer and what people, what people want? Is it just what moves fast on shelves and you can, you can eyeball it and, and the numbers speak for itself or are there other ways that you've been able to figure out what your customer base wants and how to get it to them? Well, I mean, I could say the standard answer, which is I brew what I want to drink and, you know, tough noogies to those who don't like that, but that's not sure. a very good business model. Um, I, I would, I would say we we normally we're using festivals to test out our um, our beers, and so we have a good idea about what sells. But but what's what's different is we don't have a stable of IPAs. We we have a right now two different IPAs, possibly three coming online, they're not available at the same time. And so what we've been able to do though, is we just gauge reaction at uh, events and festivals. And certainly what is flying off the shelves is, is, is what we would hope is, is, is flying off the shelves. But um, I, the Mid-Atlantic, you know what? I can sell Porter in uh, in August in the Mid-Atlantic, and I love that. Um, but yeah. we we and again, Rauk beer is if you <laughs> listen to the hype, is the up and coming anti IPA. I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that, but I love brewing it. So um, we're going to have probably three or four different smoke beers by the time winter is over, and uh, different different types of uh, uh, smoke malt and just try and experiment in, in, in that way. Um, but yeah, festivals, when somebody comes up to me in a festival and says, I really, you know, I really don't like beer or I don't like dark beer or something like that. Look, it's like a drug dealer. The first sample is free. You tell me what you think. And normally I get a very positive response from, uh, you know, from that, because for some reason, they're, they're drinking something that they, they, they weren't expecting to either like, or um, they, you know, maybe had a bad experience with a particular style or, or, or something. I don't know, but um, we get the feedback from the people looking them in the eye. And that's, 
that's what I like. That's what I miss about not having a tap room. Uh, but what I don't miss about not having a tap room is, um, you know, having to lay off employees during COVID. Sure. You know, that really did throw a scare into any plans we had for a tap room. Have you have you been rethinking it as I was going to say as the world is reopening up, but I mean, it, it's still everything's still uncertain. But is that something that you still would like to do? Here's here's the advantage of a tap room is you can make the beer and you can sell the beer. You have all the control over the over the taps. You've got uh, control over um, cleanliness. You have all, all sorts of control. As soon as I drop a keg off um, or bottles off, I have lost control. And so I I can I can be very hopeful. Luckily, I've got again great draft and great retail uh, customers, but uh, sometimes I wish I had, I had the control that, that Sarah and Riker have just of the product because, and, and again, from a profitability standpoint, pints across the bar is your best, you know, is your best margin. It's not just pints that you're all serving at, uh, at, at Policy Kings, uh, Sarah. Um, you mentioned seltzer before um you also i've, I've seen through social media at least uh, uh mimosas on certain days and hot toddies and uh, and 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 things like that um but as far as seltzer goes um i feel like going into this year people were really bullish on it um now there's a lot of uncertainty what is it what does it look like for you all uh in offering more than than just beer yeah so that's another kind of leads me into like where we had to be forced into an avenue that we didn't want to be um the reason why we do serve hard liquor and things like that is because in order for us to serve our high point cans in our tap room we had to have a full liquor license and so Again, we had to start incorporating liquor into our cells and mimosas and things like that. That's another way to get the community to come out and then get in to try to beer. Um, but remind me of what the rest of the question was. Well, no, j just as far as like seltzers or things like that, oh, yeah. are, so are, are, are they still? They're still big. So in yeah. Utah, we can't make ciders because we don't have the right license because that's what that was our that was our first choice was to make hard cider. Um, when we realized we couldn't do that, we decided to start making a hard seltzer. Um, I know that it is that gray area of, you know, people still consider it craft because we do make it. Um, they do rate us on untapped for hard seltzers, which I still find odd, but, um, <laughs> it was our way of offering a gluten-free option. Okay for our customers that we could not do without paying thousands of dollars for another license. Um, I know the state of Utah, the legislature this year is gonna be looking at hard seltzers and how they are going to be allowing uh, uh, breweries to make them. So, um, and how they're gonna figure out how to honestly probably mess it up, but we're gonna stay hopeful and we're gonna get involved and try in, in those talks and educating everybody on that. Um, it is a very big seller here for us for, again, for those people that we can't offer the gluten reduced beers, um, hard ciders, things like that, that we can't make mead that we can't make because we don't have that those yeah. specific licenses. So what about for, for you all Riker, as you, as you start to, you know, think about, uh, a, a, a new year, would, would you all, want to start getting into alternative beverages or um no we do make a just a normal seltzer that we have in our tap room mm -hmm. um with our with the water from town um, just carbonated water yeah. yeah just carbonated water okay. uh, but yeah no we don't have any plans to expand beyond beer um one of the things that that i noticed uh is you all are often talking about uh, food trucks and folks who come to um, come to the brewery uh, to, to you know, serve your serve food alongside your beers. Um, 
I know there's shortages and there's um, you know, people have different philosophies as to um, you know who they want parked outside, but sometimes it's just you know whatever truck is available kind of thing. When you all are having the conversations though with food trucks, are you looking for or what are you looking for? I guess is 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 the question I'm reaching for at this point. Yeah, um, I think first uh, we look for is kind of like things that aren't already available in town. We're in a small town, just a few restaurants in there. Um, so we do, so we like to reach out to places that, you know, have something maybe new to offer just to uh, mix things up in town. Um, and then second, um, just from working and living in town, we have some personal relationships with, you know, friends who are either caterers or chefs. Um, so it's always fun to collab with them. Um, that but, but do you want, I mean, one, I think it's great to not be competing with other local businesses because that probably would breed some ill will um, and you know, kind of keeps everybody happy. But um, two, do, do you like to look at the menus in advance and say, okay, you know, our beers would go really well with this or is pairing not much of a thought? Um, at this point, it's probably less of a thought because we kind of, we have a established relationship with a lot of the food trucks that, and vendors that we bring in. Yeah. Um, it's more of a conversation when we're bringing in someone new who hasn't been in before. Um, but generally, cause we have a diverse tap list. Um, we, you know, it's not, it's no trouble for us to, pick out a pairing from what we already have with a menu that they're bringing. During the NanoCon panel, there's a question that kept coming up that uh, I, I, I wasn't able to get to, but I was uh, sort of curious about the answer and you all have sort of danced around this at, 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 different, at uh, different points. But uh, the question was essentially, is there long-term viability in running a nano brewery. Can I start this? Yeah. So I think the, I would say yes, if it's done right. Um, if you keep control of the rate that you grow, um, you don't try, that's a big thing for us right now is not growing too fast, too quick, controlling what we put out. Um, controlling the taste profiles, you know, just our employees and their happiness and their well-being and, you know, their pay and all those things. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot more viability than people think, because I think drinking a nano craft beer, it just tastes different than drinking a micro or macro craft beer. Um, and that may be argued by some, but I think that all of us can agree on that. Um, if we can keep control of what we put out and how we grow and um, what we do, I feel like there's a lot of viability in being a nano brewery. Eric, what about you? Well, we're coming up on five years. So I would say that it it's definitely viable. I mean, I paid off my equipment and my initial investment within four years. So I think, uh, I think that's that's a positive. So basically, I'm paying to keep the uh, keep the lights on and the and the and the walk in cold. And my and you got your heating bills covered. So yeah. Well, yeah, and the heating bills in the uh, in 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 the winter are yeah. uh, all taken care of by Kvike. But um, no, it, it, at this point, I mean, I'm even contemplating buying a keg washer at this point because I'm just tired of doing manual keg washing we own 90 kegs i mean at, at some point you get tired of it and uh um so now i'm looking for like labor saving device type stuff so that i can continue to try and balance you know work life family life and this uh side job that's now my second full-time job the brewery um but i mean look it's 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 definitely viable it it just depends 
And again, to Sarah's point, growth, managing your growth, knowing what at the end of the day you want to do. And if all you want to do is sit back, make, make great beer and get it out to people, put smiles on their faces, um, you can definitely do that. And that can be viable. Just don't let your accountant tell you it's a hobby. Riker, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to um, go back on what they're saying about control, um, about control of your growth, and and yeah, put that put emphasis on that as growing at or producing and managing at a size where you're not where you're dictating your own yeah your own uh, progress and not having I don't know a distributor or someone else tell you kind of like what your goals need to be or margins or prices. Um, but I do believe that it is a viable model. Um, uh, even, even with all the twists and turns we've gone through the past years, you know, we're the past year we've been making it work and adjusting and balancing and, um, yeah. I yeah. I mean, John, John, most of the new breweries are on the smaller side. I mean, mm -hmm. when, when, when we started our brewery planning, it was 2015, there were 5,000 breweries. And it's like, oh my gosh, you can't get much more than that. Well, now we've almost doubled that. And most of them have been small. And, and the great, uh, you know, COVID did not wipe out, uh, you know, half the breweries as was being, you know, predicted in in the beginning so sure. we're a resilient bunch here and and i and i think that's what aids in 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 the viability because when you're talking about between two to five barrels um it it just it's easier it's just easier to manage it's easier to play around and to bring something to market that is unique that not everyone is doing you know the latest cheesecake ipa or whatever abomination somebody is trying to put together and again you know no 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 real hate but you know beers beer yeah, but ju but just just enough yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> being, being small does provide a certain level of flexibility um that yeah that you're not you know that the flexibility that gives you some resilience when things change so definitely uh, yeah definitely viewed our size as a positive going into covid yeah have sarah have have you set a goal for the new year i know resolutions are, are a big thing that people are thinking about this time of year I, I i like goals instead but um have you been thinking about a goal that you want the brewery to strive for in the new year yeah so um we are getting our new system in april of 2022 uh new fermenters new systems so um our goal is by the end of 2022 to have our three canned beers that we've finally decided on the styles um to be within at least 20 to 30 places within the state of utah wow that's our goal that's a high goal but um again this is what this is our main thing that we do that's been our main goal our three-year mark um and so we've just barely hired a marketing and advertising um employee and so those are kind of our goals as to what we want to do is that is what's going to happen i don't know but we like to set our goals and our expectations super high um i hope that we can maintain that that's i will say that's the with us going from a two barrel to a five barrel the scariest thing has been are we going to be able to do it i mean i know that that sounds really ironic i guess but are we going to be able to do it and keep up and maintain and manage and that growth is it's very scary um, almost as scary as, you know, deciding to open your own brewery. Yeah. Um, but this one is scarier because uh, growth and change is, is a little, it's intimidating. But if we've known anything, we started ours from 
the ground up with our own own finances, our own money. Um, and now we're finally able to grow and expand. And I don't know, it's ask me in six months. <laughs> ask me in six months how, how we're doing. Right now we're in the midst of it, of construction and all those kind of things in an area where nobody knows anything about breweries or glycol or piping or, you know, natural gas systems. They don't know anything about this. And so we're trying to learn something we don't know as well and trying to teach people how to put something together that because we're going from electric to natural gas. Okay. And so, um, yeah, it's all very, very different. So I'd say, you know, chat with me and reach out and see if we're still I'm, above water in six months. I'm going to set a reminder. <laughs> right. I'm sure we will be. We'll just, we'll see how, where we are, but we are very excited. Our system was put together, welded pretty much homebrew still, you know, it's not a, it's not a system that you usually see. So we're excited to actually have a brand new official standard, you know, brew house system. So it's exciting. Cool. Ranker, do you have a goal for 2022? Um, you knew this question was coming. I know. I know. I knew this. <laughs> but <laughs> I was just, yeah, it's just, um, hard to make goals right now, but I mean, if, if we can just, I think our goal right now is just to maintain, um, keep on producing the best beer we can and, um, see where we're at in, you know, a year, but, um, yeah, we're, I think we're, we're in a good stride right now, um, and enjoying it still. So, yeah, I guess my my goal is to continue to enjoy doing what we're doing, and I think yeah. I will. But. And finding the happiness in the everyday, I I think, has become even more important for all of us um, during the pandemic. Of you know, there's so much worry, there's so much uh, uh, concern, and then you know, if you're running a small business, you have all the overhead and all the worry that comes with it. So, um, having that positive outlook, I think, is 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 it's nice to hear. Um, Eric, you've asked Santa for a keg washer. Uh, <laughs> you have multiple smoked beers, rock beers uh, in the pipeline. Um, it seems like, you know, life, life is pretty good right now. Um, what's your goal for 22? Well, I mean, I think I, I would like to, uh, I, I would like to just continue to refine some of the beers that are, are, are the popular uh, ones because I know that, uh, and I, and I think really my goal is to just better plan. I hate brewing in the summer because, uh, you know, it's just not, uh, uh, it's not conducive unless of course, all I'm brewing with is kvike yeast, but, um, yeah. but no, I think that, look, the goal here is to just see if we can, you know, we, we're going to be hitting five years and I, there are still some beers I want to brew. I want to explore some, some more English styles. Really, we've been focused on Scandinavia and, uh, and, and Germany and England's sort of been relegated to stouts and porters, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I think uh, we want to explore some, uh, some, some bitters and milds uh, coming in the, in, in the next year, just to add to the to the portfolio. So I just want to have enough beers in the, in, in the portfolio to satisfy my hopefully ever expanding customer base. Well, I hope it works out for the three of you, uh, in this, in this new year. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm deeply thankful that, uh, you take the time and be on this last show of the year. It's, uh, it's been, it's been fun hearing your, uh, your insights and uh, I am going to set those reminders and, and, and check in with everybody and I'll uh, report back with the, with the, with the progress report. But, um, um, and thanks to everybody who's at NanoCon and who asked some great questions that we were able to uh, get some additional perspective on during the show today. So um, really thanks to all three of you and hope it's a, it's a good start to a new year. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks, John, for the opportunity. Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. What do you want to accomplish in 2022? What goals have you set for your nanobrewery, and how will you meet them? 
you can email us at nano at byo.com. And I'll also invite you to head over to byo.com slash nano podcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice. Or again, you can email us at nano at byo.com. And don't forget to check in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. Support for this show comes from Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. These systems are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow with a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their one to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. And don't forget, join BYO online for a series of four hour long workshops with deep dives into topics of interest to small scale pro brewers, including sour beer techniques on January 28th, distilling on February 4th, and brewery taproom draft systems on April 8th. Details can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. And you can find those where podcasts are found. I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music, it was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a very small but very successful brew day. And we also hope you have a very happy new year. <laughs>